Holy Hour of Power, the Terry and Jesse show. Two Catholics that love the Lord, have a PhD in common sense, and we are reporting for duty. Terry. We certainly are, Jesse. And you know what? My, my grin on my face, you can't see it because it's not running right. But I'm so happy because, Jesse, to be able to get on this uh, radio and talk about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, nothing is better than that. And we have a special show. And I'll tell you why. We're going to be talking. Yeah, that's all right. We, we're going to be talking about a Muslim who was a terrorist out in Palestine. And just this month, early in the month of October, he encounters Jesus Christ, and he's going to tell his own story of how he became a Christian. This always touches me, Jesse, when you hear conversions like this from one side to the other. So we're going to do that. We also have a sad, sad story, and I think people can go to Church Militant and get the whole story on it, but the bishop's banking on billions of federal immigration funding. We've talked about this before. Sad to say, our, you know, over half of the funding that the bishops get isn't from donations. It's from Uncle Sam. And anytime you start putting hands in with Uncle Sam, uh, you, you better be careful because there'll be other hands coming back. And also, we just celebrated an anniversary. 1956, the liberation of Hungary. What's the true story of the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary and the connection there? It's fantastic. And Jesse, I got to tell you, bro, I, I got so many what we call need-to-know files. This is, brings my heart to make me happy. Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders, she bans the use of gender-neutral terms. So says, no, 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 Mr. or Mrs., Miss or, or Mr. I mean, none of this uh, transgender stuff, okay? So she said, no, not in my state. We need more of that kind of leadership. Also, a good sign of hope, Jesse. You got your degree at Franciscan University in Steubenville. Check this out, folks. It's a sign of hope. The university is welcoming its largest ever freshman class this year. While other universities in the state of Ohio, the numbers are going down, Steubenville is going up. What's the difference? Steubenville has an evangelization attitude to not just give people nursing, nursing degrees, but they study theology, philosophy, they encounter the person of Jesus Christ. The last one I'm going to warn people, we have, this is a warning, need to know. Cardinal Shunborn cited the death penalty revision when asked about changing the catechism on the LGBT issues. So bottom line, Jesse, what he's saying is the Pope wants to change the catechism on homosexuality to be more accommodating. Uh, that's, a, that's a bad sign. So I would say let's pray for... Uh, the Shunborn and all the, the Holy Father and those who have the power in the church because remember, I say this a lot, Jesse, the Pope is the vigor of Christ, not the superior of Christ. He cannot change divine law. Back to you, Jess. Yeah, he's not the successor of Christ either. No. He, he's the successor of Peter who was a sinful man. That's right. He even said it himself, uh, Lord, leave me, I am a sinful man. Uh, a couple of other things that, that I just want, want to mention. Please do. On... Uh, on today, the saint of the day yes. is a Saint Anthony Mary Claret. I got a great story. He was from Cuba. Yeah, he was. He was a Cuban saint, and he was the founder of the Claretians. Yes, he was. Uh, he at the age of twenty-two, he entered seminary. He was ordained in eighteen thirty-five. He mm -hmm. preached and worked in the missions for ten years. That's right. Founded the Claretians. Uh, he was named the Archbishop of Santiago, Cuba. And in 1868, due to the Spanish Revolution, both the Archbishop Claret and the Queen were exiled. 
After Vatican I, the Archbishop sought refuge at, at a Cistercian monastery in yeah. France where he died in 1870. He was canonized in 1950. St. Anthony Mary Claret, pray for Jesse, us. can I tell the story about him? When I was a young teenager, you've heard me say it because I love St. Anthony. He was evangelizing Cuba because he was the Archbishop, right? And there was a lot of problems going on in, in Cuba. They were not catechized and they were into devil worshiping like they probably are now. Yeah. And they were doing immoral things on sexual sins. And so he was calling on them to return to their Christian faith. And he was calling out these sinners. And so they decided to murder him. So three guys took three guys to come out. They ambushed the archbishop. They fired point-blank gun. Now, Jesse, you know, you carried a gun as a policeman. Mm-hmm. You hit somebody, and Jess, he wasn't wearing a bulletproof vest. What he was wearing is a pectoral cross. The bullet hit the pectoral cross and didn't kill St. Anthony. And the three men fell down on their knees and said, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he heard their confessions. They repented on the spot because God used that man in a miracle to save his life, to save their soul. This is the kind of guy St. Anthony Claret was. Jesse, if he was alive today and he was in Rome right now, boy, he would be throwing, he would, oh, Jesse... He, he'd, be, he'd be cleaning house. He'd be cleaning house, brother, because be, yeah. that we've he, lost that kind of zeal. Yeah, just for those of you in California, yeah. just want to mention there's two good men's conferences this Saturday, this tell weekend. Us, tell us. My brother Johnny and Boss Rutten. Boss Rutten is a legend in the yeah. UFC. He's a UFC Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're speaking at, at, at uh, St. Kateri Catholic Church in Santa Clarita. Awesome. From 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. So any of you guys out there in the San Fernando Valley, the Santa Clarita area... You guys want to just oh, uh, yeah. yeah immerse yourself and get and get your faith jump started by two men of God. Go this Saturday to Saint Saint uh, Saint Kateri Catholic Church in Santa Clarita, eight a.m. to four p.m. Uh, it's it's uh, Boss Rutten. Is he, he's a UFC Hall of Famer, heavyweight, undefeated champion wow. in the UFC. Guy's a monster. He's a monster, really? and he's a monster as a Catholic man too. I mean, this guy's a daily mass, awesome. prays the, prays the rosary in Latin, goes to the the, the, the Latin mass. Uh, he's into apologetics. Good. This guy has taken all that zeal from fighting and poured it into his faith. My brother Johnny's also going to be speaking along with him as well. So Good. that'll be a real treat for all you guys in Santa Clarita. For those of you guys in Modesto, I'm going to be in Modesto this Saturday <laughs> at the 8th Annual Catholic Men's Conference. I'm going to be there with a young Catholic evangelist. His name's John Sablani. He's about 30 years younger than me. A lot of people call him in the country the young Jesse Romero. I love it. His name's John Sablon. We'll be there from 8 to 4, Our Lady of Fatima Catholic Church, this Saturday, October 28, Modesto, California. Terry. Wow, Jesse, I love See, You see the good things that are going on in the church, folks? In spite of scandal, we got to keep our focus on Jesus. That's great, Jess. Jess, let's get some soul food in our souls if we can, brother. You got it. Uh, speak, Lord. Your mm-hmm. servants are listening. Today's gospel, Luke chapter 12, <clears throat> verse 35 to 38. Jesus said to his disciples, Gird your loins and light your lamps and be like servants who await their masters returning from a wedding. Ready to open immediately when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds vigilant on his arrival. Amen, I say to you, he will gird himself, have them recline at table and proceed to wait on them. And should he come in the second or third watch and find them prepared in this way, Blessed are those servants. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In, in today's gospel, Jesus Christ, this is an, an eschatological co- gospel. 
He's reminding us about the necessity of watchfulness. We got to be ready to die. We got to be ready or for Christ to come back. A or B is going to happen. Your your heart's going to either <laughs> stop and you're going to go to him for judgment or he's going to come back before your heart stops. And again, you're going to go to him for judgment. Either way, if Jesus comes back in our lifetime or our heart stops before that, we're all going to have an exit interview with him. That's what he's telling us. Gird your loins. That means put on your belt, okay? So your pants don't fall off. Get ready. Yep. Light your lamps, okay? <clears throat> Remember, electricity wasn't invented till about 150 years ago. They didn't have electricity back then. Light your lamps means light your lamps so that you can you can know where to walk, so that you can illuminate your path. Your path where? To heaven. And uh, Christ also talks about, he says, that if he should come in the second or in the third watch, the second and uh, second watch and third watch is between 10 p.m. and sunrise, according to the Jewish calendar. And uh, the Romans, they divided the night into four watches, but the Jews divided the night into three watches. So this parable seems to follow the Jewish calculation where the servants stand ready for their master throughout the night, ready and being ready for Jesus to come back at any moment. That's the way we should live. Amen. As Ruben Nava used to say, he says, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. I think that summarizes today's gospel. Awesome, Jess. Let's bring the smartest guy into the room, Archbishop Fulton Sheen. And Jess, it's on communism. And Bishop Sheen wrote a book uh, against communism, and many people say it's one of the best ever. And he has a good point. He says, communism makes inroads because of the vacuum created in the Western world through its loss of faith in God. That's it. Because all these isms, you know, um, secularism, atheism, why are they growing? Because we've lost our faith in God. And this is why we need the solution is Jesus Christ. It's not bigger government. It's, it's not forming more, uh, you know, synodality uh, meetings of, of getting people together and dialoguing. No, it's coming to know Jesus Christ. That's what's going to save the world. Yes? Uh, yeah, Terry, the, the, Jesus Christ, one of his many titles, he's got like 40 titles mm-hmm. in, the, in the Old and New Testament. One of his titles is called the Prince of Peace, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 5. Yep. You can have it your way or you can have it Jesus's way. Yep. If you embrace the person of Christ and uh, and you work on your, your interior life, it doesn't matter what happens, you're going to have peace in your life. Look at St. Paul, wrote 13 letters, spent most of his time in jail cells. And when he writes, you would have never, you would have never got the, the, the idea that he's writing from a prison, from a jail cell. Why? He had peace. Why? Because he worked on his interior life. Yep. It doesn't matter if they take your house, your money, your wallet, your car. As long as your interior life is given over to Christ, you will have, as St. Paul says of the Philippians, the peace that surpasses all understanding. As Bishop Sheen would say, if souls are saved, everything is saved. If souls aren't saved, nothing is saved. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about the bishops banking billions in federal immigration funding. Sad, but true. Stay with us, family. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. Jesse, I always say the humanity of the church at its worst right now. The bishops, 
at the uh, banking billions in federal immigration funding. It's sad to have to even say this, but you remember the old story, follow the money? I mean, Jesse, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you. One of the, our biggest fundraiser for our, our, com, our uh, apostles, Virgin Most Powerful, is funding from funerals that we do here at the chapel. Okay? Yeah. So we're going to, we serve people and uh, the donations come out our way. So I'm, and we're all happy to do that. But this is beyond hard to believe because, Jesse, when you get into this article from Church Militant, it's showing that the government, uh, they're doing things that are illegal and we're doing it under the disguise of the Catholic Church. That's scandalous. Yeah, that's... Uh, hard to have to talk about it. And by the way, in, in two weeks, I'm going to be going out with Michael Voris to Washington, D.C., and we're having a press conference. That's right, I heard about uh, We're going to be... We, are, we already have like two or three congressmen that uh, that we have their ear. And they're upset. They're li- I saw yeah. that. Yeah, they're listening to us. Yes. And they're saying, we never knew this. And these are Catholics bringing up the charges. Yeah. So they're, they're, they know that this is not like some anti-Catholic group, Church Militant, VMPR, right. and other, and other apostolates that are part of the coalition of, of the deposit of faith. Yeah. They're saying these are Catholics that love their church, love God, mm-hmm. and they're very concerned with what's happening in their church. Where's and the- they're asking us to step in and, and do an intervention. And it looks like uh, we got two or three congressmen that are definitely, definitely tracking in that direction, Terry. Yeah, and Jesse, this is important, and I'll tell you why it's important. We've got to get this out of our system where, and, and this is my point, the, Ronald Reagan said this, and I really believe you're spot on. He said, the uh, big government is the problem. we got to stop the government from being too big because when it gets so big, it runs everything, and then it wastes all kinds of money. And we see that uh, in our own country, and we also see it in, even on our church so subsidiarity, the principle of small things being done on the local level are important. So, Jesse, this is going to pain me to read this. So let's talk about what's going on. How is it that the bishops are getting all this federal money? What are they doing? They're doing, it, they're doing it through immigration. Yep. That's, that's the, the key to the, to the government's money is by just screaming, we need federal immigration funds. And it, 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 there's, there's a couple of graphs here. There's three graphs. One it's shows that Catholic organizations have received a whopping $3 billion in federal immigration funding between 2008 and 2022. Uh, and so this, there's another graph. The USCCB, they've been a major player in the immigration game for years. Yes. The second table reveals that the USCCB ranks as the fifth largest recipient of prime federal immigration grants receiving over $1 billion between 2008 and 2022. I'm sorry, Jesse, did you say $1 million or $1 billion? I, think B- I heard uh, a B. Uh, boy. Yeah, thank you. Boy. Go ahead. Uh, table three yeah. uh, in this article, it shows the USCCB essentially acts as a general contractor. <laughs> Most of the prime awards it receives is distributed as subwards to other organizations such as Catholic Charities, between 2008 and 2022, the USCCB was the single largest grantee of sub-awards in the nation, as shown in Table 3. And, and Jess, if I can just jump in, because you're making some great points. Remember this. Remember, even on YouTube, you could see this, where the Bishop's Conference is going on, and they're 
discussing whether they want to be critical of the Biden administration. And the one bishop said, who's in charge of the money, he said, gentlemen, before you get so aggressive with our government, remember over 50% of our funding comes from Uncle Sam. Now, Jesse, that was one of the saddest things I've ever heard, but it's a fact with what your numbers are showing. They get more money from the government than passing the hat at mass. Most of our bishops have lost their supernatural faith. Sad. Yeah. The USCCB, again, they act as a contractor, as a general contractor. Most of the prime, uh, the prime, the prime awards it receives is distributed as subwards to other organizations such as Catholic Charities. Between 2008 and 2022, the USCCB was the largest grantee of subawards in the nation, as shown in Table Three. Yeah. A further analysis of subawards reveals a sprawling network of federal monies being transferred between prime grant recipients and other organizations, with the USCCB having the largest pipeline amongst all players. Catholic Charities is by far the largest Catholic recipient of federal immigration funding, having received over $1.8 billion of federal grants between 2008 and 2022. This figure includes both prime awards receiving directly from federal agencies, as well as sub-awards received from other organizations. And business seems to be booming under Biden. Yes. During the Trump administration, Catholic organizations received an average of $212 million annually in federal immigration funds. Uh, so, so Trump cut it, you know, into in, in a third, pretty much. Jesse, but can, I, under the, can yeah. I just jump in? Because yes. this really bothers me, too, is how um, we as Catholic Charities are also telling all these immigrants to register in a pers- particular uh, persuasion, like Democrat, and saying that this is, uh, we'll continue to give you money if you do these things. And so what I'm trying to say is they're, they're, they're stacking the deck against accountability against morality because the Democrat Party is for killing unborn babies and for a lot of other bad things. And so what I'm trying to say is all these immigrants are being told, oh, yeah, and you need to register. They don't register independent. They don't register Republican. It's pushing the Democrat Party. So to me, that's another uh, serious problem with this. That's how they get their new voting block is exactly what you said. They they give them perks perks and entitlements. Mm. But uh, this is why the USCCB, by and large, is a body. They couldn't stand Trump and his, and, and his oh, cabinet because, because he cut the funding. And I was told by somebody who was there, he, he, he was looking at the numbers. He was saying, why is the USCCB getting uh, this amount of money? They go, hey, boss, you know, it's uh, all the other presidents give them that amount of money for their social work. He goes, no, 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 no. Um, I, he's, I'm inclined to, to get rid of this entirely. But I'm going to cut it into a third. That's Terry when he drew the ire of the U.S. bishops when he cut the funding into a third. Because under Trump, the USCCB received 212 million, which is still too much. But under Biden, they received 218 million. So it's it, under the Democrats, they received three times more the USCCB in their coffers than under a Republican president. But you see, Jesse, what happens is we focus on the money rather than what's right and wrong for the morality. I mean, look at the unborn babies that are being murdered because we don't make enough effort to stop the killing of the innocent life, but we spend much more energy on immigration. And let's just be honest, Jesse, a lot of this immigration 
It's funding the sex traffickers too. Oh, and they're involved in this. And this is yeah. I I wasn't going to bring it up, but it, Jesse, it's the facts. They're involved in sex trafficking through this immigration program. And the U.S. bishops, they're not stupid. They're very smart men. They know about. They look this. the other way though. Yes, sir. They're they're, they're like uh, you know they're like the old saying. Like that monkey that puts his oh, yeah, hands yeah. over his eyes. <laughs> See, no. See no evil. <laughs> put your put your hands over your ears. Hear no, Hear evil. no evil. Right. Put your hands over your mouth. Speak no evil. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Yeah. Sad to say. And Jesse, just a quick note to confirm what you're saying about what you said about the bishop's supernatural disposition. Our own Bishop Joseph Strickland challenged the bishops at a bishop's conference. It's on YouTube. And he said, Ben, do we really believe anymore? What do we believe? And, he cha- and it ticked a lot of bishops oh, off God. because he challenged them. And he told me, I'll tell you honestly, he said this right on the on the, uh, Bishop Strickland Hour, which we play here uh, right after our show. He said, he said, many of the men have lost their faith. Just what you said. But he has to work with these guys. And he says, I really question if they actually believe. Yeah. That's sad to have to say that. Right. Uh, in the final analysis, Catholic organizations under the direction of our bishops is knowingly involved in the trafficking of illegal aliens. Mm. In an ironic twist, mm-hmm. it should be noted that while Catholic organizations gained over $3 billion yeah. for immigration activities, the bishops lost over $3 billion due to criminal and civil suits involving the sexual abuse of children. Unbelievable. Should it ever be discovered that the church's involvement in the settlement of illegal aliens also involved the sexual abuse of children... The consequences would be devastating. Is it any wonder why the USCCB has become a lobbyist for open borders? The amount of money being devoted to immigration-related activities begs a fundamental question. Here it is. Is the USCCB, is it a religious organization whose mission is the salvation of souls? Or is is it simply a non-governmental organization, an NGO, at the beck and call of political operatives. Yeah. Uh, the way I see it, oh, I, I think clear. it's the latter. I, I think it's the latter. Sad to say, Jesse, it's the latter. And this is why we have to do what Bishop Sheen said years ago in the 70s. Who's going to save the church? It's the lay people. How do we do it? Make your bishops live as holy bishops. Your priests be holy. Your religious be holy. So some people might consider us being critical of our leadership. Guess what, Jesse? It's for the betterment of them. You really think when they have their judgment seat and they all will, they're going to die like the rest of us? And this comes up and says, hey, uh, Bishop X, what were you doing when you were doing this? What? Yeah, we're doing them a favor to say, knock it off. That's right. So what can we do? Here's the action item. Contact your bishop and demand that he stop trafficking the the migrants in your diocese. Don't accept the excuse that your bishop can do nothing about organizations (laughs) like Catholic Charities. Each Catholic bishop holds a trump card for what's happening in his individual diocese. Any organization that has sworn obedience to the magisterium can be influenced by their local bishop. And any organization using the word Catholic in its name can be ordered by the local bishop to stop using that term within that name in his diocese. There is ample precedent for bishops having done so in the past. So yes, the bishops and therefore the church have the ability to influence these organizations. Contact your bishop. Get this article. Click the link that says contact your bishop. It'll give you his email. And uh, and just write him a letter and tell him uh, to stop funding and stop 
uh, backing up Catholic charities in their trafficking of migrants in your diocese. And if I might add, the Campaign for Human Development's coming up in a couple of weeks, Jess. Let's make sure our listeners do not put a dime into that uh, campaign because that's funding a lot of what we're talking about. The Campaign for Human Development is bad. Uh, if you want to give money to help people, uh, do it directly. Avoid giving any money to the Campaign for Human Development. I know I'll, I, my you know, local bishop probably won't be happy for me to say that, but I've been watching the campaign give money to uh, communist, uh, socialistic groups uh, undermining the Catholic faith for decades, and I'm not going to stop uh, telling people not to support it. That's right. Well, next on the rundown, Terry, are we going to talk about... Are you about kidding the- me? Yes, Jesse. We're going to actually talk about a Muslim who converted. Uh, he was a terrorist. Guess where? Near Israel and Palestine. Wait till you hear this conversion story. It's amazing. God is using... He's directly evangelizing this man to come to know Jesus Christ, mainly because we're not doing a good job ourselves. That's my take. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wow, we're back, Jess. Hey, this is amazing. We're having a, we're having challenges here. We're gonna make it. We're back, Terry and Jesse. Hey, Jess, I gotta tell you something, bro. One of the most exciting things that come our way is when someone encounters Jesus Christ. We've all seen it. The light bulb turns on. The life changes. We've seen you know bouncers in England come on our show and tell us how a little kid converted them. Uh, to Christ. I mean, we, it's amazing all the way God, the ways God uses to convert people. And I want to just set the stage. This is an amazing story of a, a terrorist in Palestine who was doing some really bad things. And wait till you hear his uh, story of how he came to meet Jesus and how he now is a Christian. Mr. Engineer, let's play that clip. I was a uh, dedicated Muslim. Not only prayed the prayers, but I read the Quran once every 10 days, cover to cover. So I was very dedicated. In my time in jail, uh, one day as I'm praying, a man appears in front of me, normal size, but his being shines like light. And this light was not a normal light. This light carried identity in it. You knew that he is holy and he is just. And instantaneous, I knew I am not. Even though I had prayed so many prayers, even though I had fasted so much and I had read the Quran and I had volunteered to walk on landmines or I had participated in hanging people trying to please Allah, I knew, even though I have kept all the rules and regulation of Islam, I knew I'm not just, and I'm not holy. And I knew the only just thing for him to do is to kill me. But I didn't want to die, so I ran to the corner of the room, literally held my head in my arms and just cried out, shouting, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And I didn't think he will forgive me, because he is just, till I felt a touch on my left shoulder. And he said, I forgive you. And I felt a weight just lifted off me. And I I knew I'm forgiven, but I don't know how. 
And I was confused. I was like, okay, I don't understand. Only God can forgive you. Just forgive me. You are God. But you are a different God than the one I have studied about. This is not Allah. So who are you that forgives me and I feel forgiven today? And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I thought, that's very powerful. It means a lot because as a Muslim, you pray, show me the straight path kind of thing. And so the way is a direction. Truth is something you measure. Life is a source. But he claims to be all those three. I never thought the way is a person. The truth is a person. And life is a person and all of them is the same person. So I said, I don't understand. What is your name? I said, Jesus Christ. And someone grabbed all my bones out of my body. I just fell like a piece of meat to the ground. And I just began to weep. Amazing. Wow. What changed after that? It's like, you know, being colorblind. And then suddenly you see colors again. And you realize the world is so much more beautiful than you ever thought. If you ask me what made the world so colorless, it's the hatred, the anger that is in the heart of every Muslim. I mean, I, people say, why did you hate the Jews? I had never met a Jew. But I thought Hitler was a good man for doing what he did. He just didn't finish the job. I don't know why I hated them. No Jew had ever done anything bad to me. God didn't design us to hate. Didn't design us to want to see someone dead. He did not design us for these things. These are design of Satan. How do you think? Killing the people that God gave them this land to is going to please Allah. The God of heaven, the God of Abraham and Moses, the God of their prophets and Jesus is not a God that celebrates when Jews are killed. Wow. Jesse, you're the one who found that clip. And when you sent it to me and I listened to it, I called you right away and I said, wow, yes. People need to hear this. And, and Jess, I, there's a couple words that he said about the, uh, his Muslim faith. Anger and hatred. And, and it's like, like if God is this slave driver that we say that Islam is about, then it makes sense. And I can see that when he saw love for the first time, his eyes were opened. And like he said, you know, he was colored blind. In other words, he saw things so differently from a... Uh, perspective of love than hatred. And I wonder if this is the way to evangelize Muslims. The, unfortunately, unfortunately, Catholics are doing such a bad job of evangelizing Muslims yeah. uh, that uh, this is why they're not coming into the church because we're not even making a case for Christ. The whole issue revolves around the person of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Uh, Muslims and Jews have a deficient understanding of who Jesus is. There you go. 
One of the things that I've done quite effectively, and my wife has seen it. She's seen me in action several I've times. Seen a taxi car. Yeah, I don't know. Several taxi cars. It's been about yeah. three taxi cars now. Yeah. Uh, and it's I, I just use the same technique. So I'm going to tell you what I do. Tell us. And it's, uh, it's very powerful. Uh, there's a website put up by some Catholic apologists. He, he doesn't want to be mentioned because he doesn't want Islam to come after him. It's called TheReligionOfPeace.com. TheReligionOfPeace.com. He's a very famous Catholic apologist. So on that website, religionofpeace.com, there's a chart that says comparing Jesus and Muhammad. Yep. So what I've done, I've taken that picture of that chart on my iPhone. I've had, I've had it there for years. So when I got picked up by a Muslim or when I have a conversation from a, with a Muslim, I'm saying, well, have you ever heard about the, like, the real Jesus from the New Testament? Well, let me see. What do you got to say? I go to my phone. And it's a side-by-side comparison of Jesus and Muhammad. Mm-hmm. It's jaw-dropping. Every single time I've done this with a Muslim, yeah. it's, it's happened at least three taxi cab drivers that I've done this with. My wife has been there with me. And she says, wow, this is effective. I said, yeah, because they don't know who the real Jesus is. Right. That's exactly- so when you explain, it's just simple. You just like go down the line and say, okay, yeah. Muhammad fought. In 65 wars, Jesus fought in none. Muhammad had 25 wives. Jesus had none. Mm -hmm. Muhammad's youngest wife was nine years old. Jesus was celibate and chaste. Muhammad performed no miracles. Jesus performed 36. So when you just go down, so you're not calling them names. You're just doing a comparison of Jesus and Muhammad. I'm going to tell you right now, and my wife has seen this. She has seen Muslims break down in front of us as they're driving us to an airport or a hotel. Yeah. They break down, tears start coming out of their eyes, and they start saying, nobody ever told me this. Mr. Romero, thank you. I've never heard this. I want to do my own study. What's that website? It says thereligionofpeace.com. Thereligionofpeace.com. It's got a comparison graph between Jesus and Muhammad. I think, I think every Catholic should read that, and every Muslim should read that. And I'm telling you, there would be mass conversions in the world because most Muslims, what they they've received, they've received uh, a, a deficient uh, view of who Jesus Christ really is, and 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 this is why many of them are opposed to Christ. It isn't until he, so. What's happening? Jesus is appearing to people all over the world. Why? Because we're not doing our job. So Jesus keeps appearing to, to former Muslim men and women and uh, and these private revelations that have been going on for decades and decades are bringing in tens of thousands of Muslims <laughs> into the Catholic or the Orthodox Church every single year. And we want also met, we met uh, Father Zachariah Boutros, uh, a priest uh, from Egypt who has been converting millions of Muslims to Christianity and Jess and I went on his radio, no, television show, Telev- yes, probably 10 years ago, into yeah. a bunker. I mean, we literally, uh, he, he, because he's got a, 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 a he's third, he's, he's, what is it? They, they put a bounty on his head for millions of dollars to yeah. kill him. He's in his 80s. He makes Jesse and myself look lethargic. This guy's oh, on God. fire for the faith. And he has a, a way of evangelizing Muslims in the Middle East that I don't know if too many people are doing what he's doing. So look him up, Zechariah Boutros. Yeah, we the, the two best evangelizers for Islam today in Christianity are Father Zechariah Boutros, yeah. 
His last name is spelled B-O-T-R-O-S. He's all over YouTube. Yes, he is. And Robert Spencer. Oh, he's another good guy. Robert Spencer has written 27 books on every topic about Islam. Yep. He's the go-to guy. In fact, this guy is so steeped in Islamic uh, in Islamic <laughs> understanding, he's uh, he gets called in by the Department of Justice, the FBI, the CIA, the White wow. House. Wow. They consult him on Islam. Uh, and he's a, he's a Chaldean Catholic. But Terry, is this this uh, testimony that we just heard from this Hezbollah terrorist yes. that just converted to Christianity? Incredible. As I'm looking here at the YouTube page, yeah, all these former Muslims keep writing. Here's somebody else. I'm a former Muslim woman. I'm blessed. I found Jesus Christ. He <laughs> appeared to me also. Wow. Jesus is love and mercy. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Here's another one. Wonderful testimony, brother. I am, a, I am a born Muslim like you and have converted to Christianity after an experience with Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm very happy to see many Muslims around the world are now experiencing Jesus Christ and knowing the way, the truth, and the life. It's exciting. Yeah. He, I mean, just one Muslim after another is, yeah. is posting here uh, and, and just talking about what a powerful testimony this was. Here's one from a Jew. I'm a Jew. When I found Christ, I immediately felt a peace I never knew before. Life has been infinitely better since... Thank you to this man for telling his story. That's what we're all about here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio, introducing people to the person of Christ. Let's talk about the liberation of Hungary, the true story of the Feast of Our Lady of the Holy Rosary when we come back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Hey, Jess, we need to learn how to bi-locate. I, I just ran upstairs, took care of some, come back up mm. here. Uh, I mean, I said, I'm getting old. I can't do that anymore. Hey, Brother Jess, you got an article here, The Liberation of Hungary, True Story of the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary. This is the month of October still dedicated to Our Lady of the Rosary. Let's talk about it. Yeah, the month of October is known for its emphasis on the Holy Rosary, mm-hmm. which will be forever associated with the glorious victory of the Holy League at the Battle of Lepanto, October 7th, 1571. Yep. But while Lepanto occasioned that promulgation of the Feast of Our Lady of Victory, the precursor to the current feast day, it is a common misconception mm-hmm. that Lepanto was responsible for the Universal Feast of Our Lady of the Holy Rosary, the Feast of Our Lady of Victory, Amen. instituted after Lepanto in 1573, was at first reserved to churches which possessed an altar dedicated to the Holy Rosary. In 1671, Pope Clement X extended the observance to the whole of Spain, but it wasn't until another Christian victory against the Turks in 1716, that the feast was extended to the universal church. This victory was that of the forces of the Holy Roman Empire under Prince Eugene of Savoy against the Muslim Turks in the Hungarian campaign of 1716. Can I just jump and ask a question, Jesse? Why is it that nobody wants to talk about Muslim Turks? You just added the word Muslim. Everywhere I read articles... It's like we don't want to touch. I mean, I, I just exactly. think it's political correctness. Am I onto something? I th- of course it is. Yeah, keep going. A lot of these intellectuals that write these articles. They don't want to mention, oh, no, Muslim. They, yeah, they, they are. Terry, they're smart guys, but they've lost their courage. Yeah, go ahead. So anytime they write these articles, they'll just say the Turks. Well, if, if, if you don't know history like me, you're going to say the Turks. What are you talking oh, about? Yeah, there? Okay, the Turkey. The, okay. The country, no, the say it. 
Exactly. Say you guys that write these articles, Muslim M- Turk. Man up. Go ahead. Ottoman Empire, yeah. Muslims. It, yeah, that's what I tell people. Yeah, most people that get a PhD, they uh, they relinquish their manhood. I won't yep. say any further. I got it. I got the message. Yeah. Keep going. The, in the campaigns of Prince Eugene yeah. are much less known than the victory of Lepanto, which is a shame as they were of even greater consequence. Mm-hmm. Let us set the stage by revisiting history at the turn of the 18th century. In 1683, the great Polish ruler, King Jan Sobieski, dealt the Muslim Turks a crushing defeat at the Siege of Vienna. Mm. The victory had eventually led to the Treaty of Karlowitz in 1699, in which the Muslim Turks ceded Croatia, Slavonia, and parts of Hungary to the Habsburgs though they still retained the provinces of Temesvar, Moldavia, and, Wal- and, Walakat- and Wallachia. The arrangement was humiliating to the Muslim Turks, and no sooner was the ink on the treaty dry that they <laughs> sought to reform their, the, reform their forces and get revenge on the Holy Roman Empire. Smarting from their wounds, the Muslim Turks withdrew east and spent the following generation replenishing their forces. Oh, they were waiting. Yeah, go ahead. This their, is their vengeance too. came in 1716 to 1718 yep. Yep. with the invasion of Austria and the Austro-Turkish War, which arose out of the desire of the Muslim Turks to revenge themselves for the losses inflicted upon them by King Jan Sobieski. The Turks were in a fine mood as this war with Austria came on the heels of successful Turkish campaigns against the Russians from 1710 to 1711 and the Venetians, 1715. At the beginning of 1716, the Grand Vizier Damat Ali massed an army of 160,000 Muslim Turks, Tartars, Tatars, and Janissaries at Belgrade and invaded the Habsburg territory. Wow. The Islamic Muslim aggression roused the Austrians to defense, the Habsburg Prince Eugene of Savoy, who became the Catholic hero of the early, of the early 18th century, was dispatched with an army of 91,000 Austrians, Hungarians, Serbians, and Croats to defend Christendom and chasten the Muslim Turks. Amazing. Isn't that great? Go ahead. The, de- the decisive engagement of war yeah, yeah. happened early on the Battle of Petrovaradin on August 5th, Despite being encircled inside a fortress, Prince Eugene managed to outflank the attackers where they brought a circle of cavalry, trapping the Muslim Turks between the walls of the fortress and the encircling cavalry. The Muslim Turks were, uh, were utterly annihilated. Only 50,000 returned to life to Constantinople. The Sultan ordered the execution of Grand Vizier Damat Ali, but the decree was unnecessary. He was already slain in the battle. After this stunning and unexpected victory, Prince, Prince Eugene pressed on into Timisora, which is a province then in the Turkish-occupied Hungary, in a sweeping series of conquests that lasted from, from August to October 1716. Eugene gloriously swept away the Muslim-Turkish forces as city after city returned to Christian control after centuries of Muslim-Turkish oppression. In the first week of October 1716, the fortresses, the fortress of Temeswar capitulated, completing the liberation of Hungary. Mm. The conquest of Temeswar fell during the week of October 7th to 11th, drawing obvious comparisons to the victory at Lepanto 150 years earlier. It was in this light of this swift and stunning rollback of Turkish power, 
of Muslim Turkish power in Europe that Pope Clement XI raised the Feast of Our Lady of Victory to be celebrated by the Church Universal under the title Our Lady of the Holy Rosary. Pope Leo XIII would raise the feast to the rank of, of double of the second class. As for Prince Eugene, he would go on to even more stunning victories, winning another near-miraculous triumph against overwhelmingly superior Muslim Turkish forces at Belgrade in 1717, bringing a final defeat to the, to the Muslim Turks in the Balkans. By the terms of treaty of the Treaty of Pasarowitz, signed on the 21st of July, 1718, the Muslim Turks surrendered the Banat of Temeswar along with Belgrade and most of Serbia. Muslim Turkish power in the Balkans was broken forever, and from 1718 onward, the Turks, Muslim Turks would only grow weaker at the expense of the growing European powers. So, while we commemorate the great victory of Lepanto each year at this date, let us also recall the victor, the glorious victories of the Catholic Prince Eugene Savoy in the Austro-Muslim-Turkish War of 1716-1718, which were the culmination and flowering of the first victory gained at Lepanto a century and a half earlier. Jesse, while you read that article, what came to my mind is the supernatural view that these people had on their Catholic faith. They would not go to war unless they really believed in their Catholic faith to keep the faith. And I really question today how our zeal has gone out. Would we have these battles today or would we roll over and say, done, I, 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 it's not important to me. And my question to you, to, to, for me to ask myself and to ask all of us is, are we prepared to stand up for our faith or are we willing to compromise? And I'm not only just talking about Muslim, I'm talking about the teachings of Christ that are perennial teachings because of worldliness. That's what's really addressed right now in the church. In Rome right now, they're trying to change things that cannot be changed. And my take on it is we need to fight like it all depends on us and believe that it's God's, uh, God will bring good out of this evil. And I call it an evil. When you want to take uh, immoral living like homosexuality, active homosexuality, and saying it's now good, you can't call... Uh, evil, good, and good, evil. That's what I hear going on in the church today. We need to stop it. I, I did years ago, through St. Joseph's Communications, I did an, a video with Dr. Ed Maz and some other people on the Crusades. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so here's the four points I made in that video of the Tell Crusades. Me. Tell me. Uh, myth number one is that Christians started it. Wrong. Actually, Islamic forces, Islamic invaders started the Crusades. And so that's the first thing that I would say. The second myth that I busted in that video is that the Crusaders just want, the Catholic Crusaders just wanted to get rich. No, in fact, the truth is it went badly into debt and, 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 and because of centuries they kept fighting. So, uh, yeah, Godfrey of, of, of Bullion, he sold the entire country of Verdun to the king of France right. to pay for his part in the Crusades. You know, talk about a bad investment. Here's the third myth that I busted in that video is that uh, myth number three, some people say, okay, but the Crusaders didn't really make, didn't really believe their own religious propaganda. Well, uh, I would say that the Crusaders did believe that they should take back Jerusalem. Why? There was no draft. 
this was all volunteer. You think people are going to fight if they don't believe in the cause no of way. volunteer? There was no draft. Yeah. And the casualty rate during the first crusade was 75% of the men, Catholic men wow. died. Wow. So can you imagine another Catholic man kept joining the second crusade, third crusade, even saints joined it because they knew it was a holy war. It was a just war. It was a just war. And the religious sermons persuaded many men to join the cause. They were preaching this from the pulpit. We need young Catholic men to volunteer to defend Holy Mother Church. And, uh, and, and, and the preaching of the homilies, they painted a very grim picture of suffering and death at the hands of Muslims. And the fourth myth that I think I busted in that video, the Crusades with myself and Dr. Ed Maza, is that people say that the Crusades, the, the Crusades caused Islamic hatred of the West. Not true. It's only until recently that Muslims believed that they had been beaten you know, that that they had beaten back a puny Western Christian attack in the Crusades because after World War One, uh, Faisal, Faisal I of Iraq, he told a French politician, he said, quote, pardon me, which of us won the Crusades, close quote. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, that, that's just a myth that the Crusades caused Islamic hatred of the West. No, Islamic hatred of the West comes from that book, the Quran. There's a hu- over a hundred verses that promote violence against non-Muslims, mandating Muslims to kill and torture Jews and Christians. Over a hundred verses in the Quran. Amazing. So what's the message? Get those rosaries out, buddy. Mon- it's uh, the month of October, all the way throughout the year. Pray that rosary. Our Lady of Fatima talked about Our Lady of Peace. Yeah. Yeah. Praying the rosary. So let's get it out. Just what state should we be living in, brother? Let's live in a state of grace. Don't live in a state of mortal sin. Remember, I don't care if you're if you're five or 105. Mm-hmm. God puts you here on this earth to evangelize mm-hmm. and to become as holy as possible. We're called the holiness according to our state in life. Well said. And uh, don't forget, Our Lady said, souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices for. We can do that today. We can do it every day of our life. Offer every our life as a sacrifice to God for the salvation of souls. We can unite our sufferings with the salvific sufferings of Jesus on the cross. And let's get to Mass. Offer Mass for the salvation of souls. Don't forget, up next, the Bishop Strickland Hour. They won't want to miss America's Bishop. We have him here right at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. So we won't want to miss that. Stay with us. God bless you.